Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Respectfully Disagree. So this Monday, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, feels weird saying her full name, but AOC went live on Instagram and she recounted her experiences of the capital insurgents in the US and um, she showed a lot of emotional vulnerability in talking about um, being a survivor of sexual assault um, as also her experiences at the time itself. Um, and a lot of people were surprised by that kind of display of vulnerability by a person in a position of power. That led us to sort of think about whether vulnerability, which is often considered to be like a sign of weakness, especially when you're showing it in public, can it be a sign of strength? So what we're going to talk about today is whether showing vulnerability is a sign of weakness. This is Shishti, your host, by the way. Um, and to start off with, let's just ask everyone straight off the bat, yes or no, where do you stand? Hi, I'm Rajvi, the culture editor at The Swaddle. So, yeah, I don't think showing it is a sign of weakness at all. I think it is actually a sign of strength to be able to be vulnerable in public and still do it regardless of the consequences that you might incur. And with AOC, like, we see the consequences that she has incurred. Um, but I definitely do think that it is perceived as a weakness. Okay. Hey, this is Opie. Uh, a few years ago, I was the sort of person who thought that vulnerability is a sign of strength. And uh, I always thought that it was like uh, a powerful thing. But uh, a few years of dealing with the real world sort of made it very clear to me that actually it's not. I will always be the person who will come and say, don't do this or or maybe not don't do this, but like seriously consider a zillion times before being vulnerable to everybody. Hi, this is Carla. I'm I'm sort of with Aditi on this one in the sense that I believe that there's a big difference between showing emotion and being truly emotionally vulnerable. So showing emotion, I think, can actually, even with political figures, garner a lot of support and, and kind of endear people to political leaders. But true vulnerability is expressing something where that that sort of exposes you um and that and that leaves you sort of raw and unprotected that's how i think of it and i don't think any political leaders or anybody actually gains anything by being too public about things that make them truly sort of emotionally raw and exposed to things that might be able to hurt them damn we're gonna have some disagreement here you know that's really interesting because uh, i think uh a journalist uh, levied this exact criticism against AOC also, but like in a very bad faith way recently. I think his name's Michael Tracy. He basically said that the reason AOC put out uh, this particular video of her, like an hour-long video of her talking about her trauma, is because it's like a very brilliant political tactical decision. And it's obviously like a really shitty thing to say at that particular time. But like, I, I kind of... Like it makes it makes sense in a way that a politician who's talking about something that's vulnerable to them versus a person being truly vulnerable are two slightly different things, right? Because a politician, while me- sending out messaging to a certain audience is also going to be controlling for a lot of things, has a PR team that's controlling for a lot of things. So they're never going to find a way in which like that politician's going to put themselves 
in a spot that actually hurts them because like that's been controlled for so that's completely different from say somebody who has like a public and serious and painful vulnerable moment so okay. yeah what, what i have i have i have a counter not a counter i just want to like understand so but aoc when she's actually talking about having not having put herself in a position but other people put putting her in a position where she could actually be harmed right like so i feel like maybe her like radar for uh, like what is too intense to talk about um, or like the like what consequences she can and cannot bear i think are like different um but also i i get what you mean i think when we think of politicians right like in my head i already think um manipulative <laughs> i already think that they are you know sending out a message trying to be like some like uh, trying to enforce some kind of propaganda but maybe i'm being biased here but i feel like it could be both right like the vulnerability could be authentic and then it could also be used to a certain end i don't think that those two are mutually exclusive things where like one negates the other let's also not forget there's like an evolution to these things and you know there was a time when politicians were not sort of supposed to project any emotion at all right and they were just supposed to be giving a speech and it was like almost like a blank slate right where you didn't see any emotion and there were a lot of ways in which i think barack obama kind of like broke that mold and he actually i think redefined masculinity a lot in american culture because he was seen in many ways as a manly man right he was like really good at sports super athletic very you know like tall good looking like he had a lot of the attributes that you associate classically with like masculinity but then he like i remember these very poignant moments when he would cry right so there was like joe biden's son passed away from cancer and he gave the eulogy at the uh, funeral and he cried on camera in front of the whole country um then there was that there was a shooting in a church um in a black church and i don't know if you remember he sang amazing grace and he was like in tears while he was singing this like deeply sort of emotional song it was a level of emotional vulnerability that the american public had never seen not only in a major political figure but in a man like publicly right the most important man in the country in a lot of ways he made it okay for people to do that now aoc however many years later if you look at who her demographic is who her supporters are who gives her political capital it's people who really value you know all of this um you know it's sort of radical softness and kindness and compassion i mean this is who she's talking to so i don't think that she loses anything politically by being this publicly vulnerable yeah i think that's interesting because i feel like in india that's still not the case if you look at political leadership um in fact if you look at like politicians crying in india you'd probably get only results of like rahul gandhi being a cry baby or the samajwadi party leader who was who was trolled for crying at gandhi's uh, mahatma gandhi statue so i think we haven't seen vulnerability be used as that kind of strength and whenever politicians do cry it's largely associated with women politicians and at certain events like it's kind of almost twisted and dark in a way that whenever there's like a rape case and then that becomes like a huge national controversy that's when you hear like the women members of parliament talking and then they give emotional speeches but by and large especially if you're supposed to be like a one woman state leader like a mamta banerjee or an indira gandhi or a jayalalitha you can't be vulnerable 
so this is interesting that you bring out, bring out like the differences between like men and male and female like political leaders um because uh, there's this thing that experts like talk about a lot especially in contemporary politics it's called like, like a crying double standard in which like because men cry less often in public their tears are viewed in a much more um, sympathetic empathetic manner and there's this like working paper out of tufts university um that you know it was a very so- small source pool but the hypothesis was really interesting that um depending on what the politicians are crying about uh, the viewers or the voters see them differently so for example if like a candidate's tears for example signal emotional instability um then a male candidate would be more penalized for crying than a female candidate because he cannot show emotional instability but when the reason for crying is compassion right when you're talking about feeling something for someone or whatever then women are chastised more uh, than male candidates because i guess it's seen something as just like this is what women's women's this is what women do um can't really control it and i would argue that female leaders yeah i mean because there's a higher bar for them with everything that they also have to always avoid that hyper emotional tag and i mean a great example of this is like you know angela merkel during the covid crisis you know when everybody was melting down all over the world Germany's response was arguably one of the best. It was very science focused, it was very rational, it was very, you know, evidence based. And she had to keep coming on TV and basically explaining to people that the response would be led by the data and it would be careful and it would be, you know, everything would be sort of carefully calibrated and she she did show these moments of sort of like, you know, where she would sort of admit that it was scary and that this was something new and this was something, you know, and this was something really terrifying for people, but she wasn't ever really emotional. It was very dry. And even, and so the way that she sort of allayed people's fears was by showing this like commitment to the science and commitment to the medicine and commitment to the results and the data. And so there was very little emotional appeal and everyone sort of lauded her for the way she handled it. But I don't think she would have done very well if she had gone up there and started crying about it. So it, it's really weird because we live in a changing political climate, right? So I feel like like both of those options are not great for female politicians, especially like show too much emotion and you're weak and you showed you don't show enough. And then you are like a cold hearted uh, person who doesn't care about anything. So you just have to like go above and beyond to show that you actually do care with the things that you do. Uh, but no matter what you say or how you say them, uh, somebody will find a way to hold it against you. So especially as we're talking about like these gender dimensions of vulnerability and how it plays out differently depending on what gender you identify with, what do you think about the benefits of quote unquote staying strong in the moment? Do you think that there are benefits to that and is there a case to be made for that? But I think to answer this question, we really need to define what strength looks like and is because I mean, there are so many how to's uh, on the internet about how to be a strong leader how to be a strong manager uh this that whatever uh but i think when like we've come to kind of uh, we, we've arrived at this definition of strength that kind of equates to emotionally stable uh extroverted and assertive more open honest um and like conscientious I never know how to pronounce that word, but yeah, conscientious. Um, so it's 
essentially there is a difference between like acting tough and actually being tough and displaying that strength of character and it's something that slowly we are kind of coming to understand like what the difference is between those two things so this is where i feel like it's again heavily gendered and also quite dependent on the cultural norms of the country that the person is in i mean if you look at somebody like a vladimir putin right he is projecting strength to his country through all of this pageantry that's hyper hyper masculine right and you know there's those those the shirtless horseback riding photo but there's always some sort of physical feat or something about his physical bravado and strength and courage um and those are intended to show sort of brute force right and then the brute force obviously carries over into a sort of symbolic you know control and authoritarianism but the point is that culturally he's very deliberately choosing those props and all of that pageantry he's choosing those portrayals because that is the form of strength and masculinity that perhaps might work definitely but how do you think that this shifts when we move it away from political leaders to like leadership at large if you shift it to something like the corporate workplace where again there's a bit of research on and there's that book called the athena doctrine that basically kind of explores how people have started valuing quote unquote feminine values more so i mean maybe not quote unquote because literally feminine values like sharing kindness empathy um showing weakness which were all earlier considered to be signs of vulnerability are now being more valued by people and are being seen as more important with like team building but analysis of that book and a lot of authors also point out that while in practice or theoretically people's ideas might be shifting in actuality like the difference between vulnerability and oversharing and between being weak to helping people to being weak just to show that you're weak you know like it becomes a part of showing strength or like a strategic thing is kind of a bit like shaky what do you all think about that yeah i mean i i agree with that like i don't know where that line is because it, to me like looking up to somebody to kind of lead the way or looking up to somebody to make decisions i do need them to be as a clear headed i do need them to kind of at least show a little bit of okay this is not phasing me like we can still move forward from this um like i mean if they cry in front of me once like obviously that's not going to like shatter my confidence in them uh but if that's kind of like a constant thing then maybe it is time to like shift to somebody who can perhaps handle it better um so it's like a very thin line between showing you can handle something while letting it affect you and like showing it to, showing vulnerability to an extent that you uh like what's the opposite of inspire uh you let's say destroy confidence in yourself that others have yeah and that's where I, i mean i come back a little bit to the aoc um example here because i think that's where aditya and i were sort of disagreeing with you early on with the question of what is true vulnerability right showing an emotional reaction is not necessarily a true vulnerability and so I mean I don't know when you know when somebody is willing to share something publicly and open it up to the sort of commentary of millions of people I would actually go as far to argue that perhaps it's not a true emotional vulnerability of theirs at that point But I think that that's interesting because it also brings up like this idea of a vulnerability being used for gain over time 
I don't think it's just a new thing in politics, but there's this super interesting piece in the conversation by Michael Gard, and basically he's exploring like why athletes cry and what it means, and I found it really fascinating in football, for instance. Um, players actually started to show much more vulnerability in the 1950s when there was a conflict between the football club owners, um, who were like overwhelmingly white former slave owners and the footballers who uh, were overwhelmingly black and who did not get uh, the kind of percentage share and salaries that they deserved. So they would show more vulnerability and they would cry and they would show more emotion in order for the public to believe that they are actually invested in the sport. And it's not just about the money for them, but that the sport matters. Um, and I found that super interesting. Like it's, it's, and then of course, like athletes crying is really acceptable in different moments but if they show vulnerability in different ways like I think Serena Williams the moment you show vulnerability in a way that's not acceptable that's impolite then people are like oh my god that's aggressive or even with Rafael Nadal there's like a common rhetoric that he's not a gentleman as opposed to like Roger Federer so you're you're supporting like the more aggressive tennis player but it's also with with athletes it's when they get injured right they're not allowed to whine about getting injured so like in in the other, not American football, but in European football and soccer, right? That whenever people, like if, if somebody is aggressive and like, you know, knocks somebody over, you're not supposed to like call them out or whine about it or lay down on the ground too much. You're just supposed to like pop up and not say anything. So that type of vulnerability is not acceptable, right? And that type of showing emotion is not acceptable. But I was gonna say to Diti's point and this one, that the whole, Thing that leaders and these athletes are trying to do is create an emotional connection with the people who keep them in those roles or who can be useful to them or helpful to them. And let's not forget that both politicians and, you know, leaders of organizations who are speaking to their, you know, constituency or employees or demographic in some way, the whole point of what they're doing is trying to connect in that way to say, I am just like you, right? I understand you. I connect with you. And showing some amount of emotional vulnerability about the right thing is the perfect way to get that across. So in particular with political leaders whose ideologies are much more this sort of, you know, equality related um, ideologies, this is one of the most like, you know, strategic ways to connect with people, I think. So I have something to say about the the football thing, Kara. Um, so what you describe, right, like when, when players get injured and they're not like allowed to kind of, you know, I say whine about it. There is also a very intensely gendered aspect to that. Like female footballers, for example, when somebody fouls them and then they fall down, they do not have the liberty to writhe around on the ground trying to catch the referee's eye and get like some kind of foul or red card or penalty or whatever out of it. They just literally get back up and start running again. But in men's football, like they have done it enough times, they've cultivated this, right? Where it's essentially theatrics. Like the fans themselves who care about these players, they also do not believe that the person has actually gotten injured. But it's essentially this entire thing where you're showing vulnerability. I'm gonna like bandwagon on your vulnerability and we're gonna try to get some kind of desired outcome from this. Uh, and women do not have that liberty of manipulation yet because they're still trying to make it in the sport enough and they do not cannot waste five minutes of their time uh, calling for attention. But you know, one thing that when I went out looking for like pop culture depictions of vulnerability, I, I found that that's like not 
a separate category because that's there all across different kinds of um art and pop culture but do you think does that there's some kind of like a mismatch between vulnerability on pop culture and on screen versus being able to show that same vulnerability in life especially at work this is interesting this reminds me of adil himshil uh in that you know like she tells ranbir kapoor that essentially ranbir kapoor wants to be a singer and he sings something and then she's like but your voice doesn't really have any sadness or sorrow because your heart has never been broken so once your heart breaks then you sing because until then you're essentially useless um so i see this like kind of glorification of vulnerability like in art that way right but it's a simulated reality i mean people do not have that uh liberty to do that in their workspaces like they you know i i don't know like get uh, marked as that person who's like a drama queen or whatever and get fired in three months like uh but in a simulated reality we can kind of dream of the kind of people that we would like to be or entertain in real life that we cannot so far plus there's also like a massive chasm between like what life looks like when it's simulated versus like what look life looks like at work right because like when you're thinking about your simulated reality you aren't really thinking about being at work you're just sort of thinking of like i don't know being with a lover or i don't know writing poetry or painting or something fun and adventurous like that like it uh, the idea of being vulnerable at work is almost 100% uh, associated with a certain amount of shame or certain amount of don't do that at any cost because like it comes with a set of rules and regulations right it's set up in a very specific way and it's supposed to sort of encourage order orderliness in life and stuff so this is really interesting because when we're talking about the reclaiming of vulnerability right like this vul- being vulnerable at work has been a very uh, like strong kind of motivator or driver in that process of reclaiming the idea of showing weakness uh, because i think like now i guess um people are being vulnerable do actually feel all of those emotions at work but were met with the whole uh like environment of not being able to express any of it uh and that's why i mean in the past 5 years i've seen more articles about oh you know how to communicate to your boss that you need a mental health day like how do you communicate like should you or should you not tell your boss about uh, a mental health issue that you were diagnosed with and then more articles about what are the solutions to those i think those are conversations that we've only started having in the last decade or so i guess um which obviously stem from our desire to reclaim vulnerability but do you think that this movement to destigmatize vulnerability um do you think it's worked against people in some ways i do think it has actually and uh, i the number one uh people it has worked against unfortunately still remains men and which kind of sucks because like i think one of the tenets of like destigmatizing vulnerability is was to sort of make men cry more make men feel more but uh, turns out all it did was uh, like this is i think uh, uh, like analysis from Brené Brown who is an a researcher who studies everything from like vulnerability and shame so she basically said that uh, a lot of women think because of this particular discourse and this particular talking about unlearning your shame and trying to be more vulnerable that they have this idea that like they could think a man could cry and they would be okay with it in theory 
but when it actually happens like when a man who is close to them and effect affects their life in a certain way when that man starts crying it produces like a sense of revulsion in women and like they immediately want to back away because for a lot of women that amount of internalized patriarchy is so extreme and so untapped into that they don't realize they hate men close to them who want to cry because they're seeing Barack Obama crying and they're like okay I am fleabag from fleabag and that's how I feel about Barack Obama but then when somebody close is doing it then it's just like a complete 10 steps back because then you see this person in a very traditional gender role and they failed and that sucks to you and that's that I think the main thing here and I really do not like 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 my upbringing or a lot of people around me's upbringing in the way that you are not taught how to deal with people who show their vulnerability to you right because most people grow up thinking of it as a bad thing most people like learn how to suppress it to then pretend to be strong um so in this process maybe theoretically our mindsets are changing uh, but our instincts are still the same because they've been like hardwired into your brain since you were a child Yeah this reminds me of that study which is very similar Aditi to the thing you just described which was this this like super famous study that was done where you know how around the world there's this conversation about women carrying the entire burden of managing households and caring for households and doing all the household labor and so when you ask women what would what would you want your partner to do they all say i would like for him to do half the housework and then they did the study where they had the men actually uh you know vacuum and like wash dishes like hand wash dishes and do all this housework and their wives stopped having sex with them it was like the most preposterous results because they did not find them sexually attractive anymore because it threatened the very like the notion of masculinity that these women had that's fascinating um do you think the way in which we're looking at vulnerability currently talking about all of this um are we currently doing it right or is there a way to look at vulnerability di- differently so i think there's a very specific uh, narrow idea to what we consider as vulnerability and it's very like immediately linked to shame right it's this idea that you're like this pathetic mewling thing and you're like uh, being an embarrassment to everybody and you're weak but vulnerability is this very uh, like large very beautiful thing and it do, it it doesn't have to look one particular way and also when we speak of vulnerability right like the i mean i guess because i also cry very easily the more difficult kind of vulnerability for me is showing anger uh, it's something that women are, are especially kind of um, you know as a dissuaded from doing um and like even like even if anger is like 10 steps away from me i am already thinking 20 steps ahead the consequences that i will have if i get angry about something uh so i think that is a very special kind of vulnerability to be able to uh put out like an aggressive distasteful emotion um and anger obviously also comes out sometimes uncontrollably or in ways that you can't rationalize right uh so that's also another one in which like it could look different that vulnerability and aoc also does that really well like she um like she shows anger but with conviction with like be, with like uh, like being articulate and being very clear about why she's angry and then she provides solutions uh i'm not saying everybody is that uh, you know deep thinking about when they like deep thinking when they get angry but um it's a very powerful vulnerability for me that i don't really see uh 
being portrayed that way. I'm still back to my original sort of feeling that I'm not sure that we ever really truly know what makes somebody really feel vulnerable, like emotionally naked, right? That that they're like completely exposed because I just assume that when people express things too easily that that even though it, they may be describing a traumatic event or even though they may be describing something very unpleasant and even though they may be crying in the moment and expressing emotion, that doesn't necessarily mean that that issue or topic or the thing they're talking about makes them feel vulnerable. Like, to me, there's a distinction. So public figures are difficult, celebrities are difficult, but at least in one's personal life, I think uh, this is the, the respectfully disagree, uh, like podcast mantra anyway, but like kindness, <laughs> just, you know, like, I don't, I mean, I think that if somebody is being vulnerable in front of you and your first, first instinct is suspicion then like something's wrong you know there might be things to be suspicious about but it just feels weird that the first thing is suspicion i would i would rather the first thing would be kindness and consideration and then maybe if there is evidence then you're like okay cool i guess i got manipulated big deal next time it won't happen yeah definitely and i and i think as long as that's the kind of politics that we make more acceptable more broadly and like teach people i think we live in a much happier world wow oh i'm just like full of cliches today aditi are you ready to cancel me on that note i think aditi and i are like the resident cynics today (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'm always the resident cynic but aditi (laughs) shishti just said we would all live in a happier world she is very far away from cynicism today You know, honestly, no, I don't even think we're cynical, Khan. I think I just think we're like uh, realistic. Realistic. Oh my yeah. God! Now you are. You guys are cliches about cynical and realistic. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm. I don't know. Like I think the a better way to put it would be like it's very uh, uh, like I don't know, like team critical thinking. Like always, always sort of think twice or thrice about something, anything. because you never know and especially with vulnerability i guess i also really truly believe that what the things that we are most vul- truly vulnerable about are things that you would never like you wouldn't even speak them to your mother to your life partner to your sister brother when it's that deep and that bad and makes you feel that vulnerable it's never coming out yeah i mean you won't even admit them to yourself sometimes. exactly exactly Wow, that's what we're ending. That's the note we're ending this podcast on. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's yeah clearly not easy to unpack vulnerability. Um, and on that note, oh maybe this will make you think about the things you don't want to admit to yourself. Oh my god! Yeah. Now I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> on a Friday, maybe this is not what people want to be thinking. <laughs> Everybody's going to listen to this podcast on a Friday morning and perform alcoholism on Friday evening because of this podcast. On that note.